Raw Ag is your link to the food chain, and every episode will take you somewhere along that chain. From conception to consumption, you will hear from the cutting-edge players in Australian agriculture with industry news, unique views and presentations. We can all be better farmers, sustainable, regenerative and innovative. We can all be more informed and aware consumers. And Rorag is your next step in that direction. Brought to you by Ace Radio and Tamania Angus. I'm Kate Mead and today it is my honour to introduce you to host Tom Gubbins. Richard Raines has an incredible list of achievements. Born and raised on a family farm near Dunedoo in New South Wales, Richard's first job was a cadet with Dalgetty's. He was instrumental in the development of beef export to Korea in the 1970s and in the 90s convinced McDonald's to use Aussie beef in burgers in North America. Richard has chaired and participated in many boards including Paraway Pastoral Company, the Cattle Council of Australia, Beef CRC, Australian Export Council, Sanger Australia and the Arcadian Organic and Natural Meat Company, the Country Education Foundation, and has chaired the Xander McDonald Award since 2015. Welcome to the podcast, Richard. Oh, Tom, it's just a great honour and a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. And Richard, just tell us a little bit about where you are at the moment. Uh, I'm doing it tough on uh, Sydney's northern beaches, Tom, uh, which uh, with uh, lockdowns and all those fun things uh, hasn't been any great hardship, I must say, but uh, it's taken me a long time to get here, Tom. So um, there's, you've got an important um, role as the chairman of the Xander McDonald Award. Tell us a bit more about Xander McDonald and um, who he is. Um, uh, thanks, Tom. Uh, I'd like to think it's an important uh, uh, role to play because I think uh, lifting young people up and uh, putting a spotlight on them and giving them opportunities is uh, uh, about as good a thing as, a, as an old retiree can do these days. Uh, I must say I get uh, great joy from it. Xander uh, McDonald was one of those uh, extraordinary people uh, who uh, just just had a way about him, Tom. Uh, he was part of the McDonald family from North Queensland, uh, probably the largest family cat- uh, private family cattle uh, operators in the country, with uh, vast tracts of land uh, up in the Gulf, uh, the Cape. Um, headquarters uh, and where Xander lived was uh, a property called Devon Court, just west of uh, Cloncurry, between Cloncurry and Mount Isa. Um, uh, sadly, uh, Xander lost his life uh, in 2013 at the at the young age of 41 from a from a farm accident on Devon Court. He was just he was just a doer, Tom. And uh, whereas many people in his circumstances, I'm sure, would uh, uh, put a note in their book and uh, tell somebody back at headquarters that a job needed to do, uh, if Xander was capable of doing it, he would uh, he would fix it on the spot. Um, I can give you a prime example. I've uh, I've been with him. He was a dear friend of mine. I've been with him on his property. He was a helicopter pilot. Uh, and uh, he took me for a run one day, a, a bore run, as he called it, and he saw a, a problem at a windmill, uh, so immediately put the chopper down, hopped out, got his spanners, went up the windmill, fixed the problem, and uh, we got back in the chopper and went on our way. But uh, he was just that sort of a can-do person. 
Um, and uh, uh, having lost his life at a very young age, um, an award was established, or the award was established in his honour, really launched by uh, a, a Kiwi by the name of Shane McManaway, who was uh, uh, chief of Allflex in those days. Uh, and Shane and Xander and a few others had started a, uh, a trans-Tasman group called the Triple P Group, the Platinum Primary Producer Group. Uh, and um, the award really was to recognise and support the career development of young people working in agribusiness in Australia and New Zealand. Um, the uh, first uh, recipient was in 2015, uh, after, as I say, Xander having died in 2013. Uh, so uh, we're, now in our, we're now in our seventh year Tom and about to about to crown our uh, our next winner and it's um, going very well indeed I mean I've um, had the privilege of meeting some of the winners and they certainly are very outstanding people and um, not only are they lucky but I think you're probably lucky to have them coming through your committee and choosing them it's a it, it's a great joy to see the caliber of young people in agriculture in in both countries tom there's no doubt about that um xander was an extraordinary fella he uh, he loved research he was an intelligent man he did many things for the good of the industry not just uh, for himself or for his own business but he was uh, very happy to, to share his findings he was a trailblazer uh, I, I believe he was one, certainly one of the first to use pain relief in any surgical procedures uh, with cattle. Uh, when uh, his peers were telling him that he was wasting his time, uh, he pursued it because he believed that a, it was the right thing to do and it was what his customers wanted. Um, uh, he, he was all, also, for a young man, he was a very proactive in uh, trying to uh, give young people uh, an opportunity. Uh, of, of course, uh, MDH, which is his family business, employed a lot of young people, and uh, Xander was, uh, was very proactive in helping the next generation. So I know I've got one story about uh, in the, from the genetic front that he um, was wanting to use um, uh, cattle from the south that wouldn't really live in the environment because they weren't tropically adapted. So he was doing a research project to change the genetic material that they um, ejaculated when they served a cow. Um, so the actual animal that sighed the calf was actually the dif a different animal to the one that mated with the cow. So that was pretty outstanding stuff. I don't think the research project actually got there, but it was those sort of thoughts to try and do things like that was that were so outstanding. Yeah, that's correct, Tom. He did that research with the CSIRO, and uh, I repeat, uh, you know, he lost his life at 41. So for a man to have achieved what he did by that age and to be doing the the sort of research that he was involved in at that young age uh, just testifies to the fact that he was an, extra, an extraordinary man. So uh, um, Xander MacDonald, award winner, what's the prize that they receive? Uh, it's really a tailored mentoring prize, Tom. Uh, so uh, it's, it's different every year depending on who the winner is and what their desires might be, what they would like to learn. But um, as, uh, as a result of having access to all the membership of the Triple P group and more, 
uh, we can really introduce these people to um, virtually anybody in agriculture and spend time at their at their workplace, whether that be a farm or a laboratory or a uh, or an olive grove, whatever it might be, Tom, uh, we've got the ability to take that person. Um, and it's normally uh, about a week uh, travelling in Australia. On uh, one of our uh, one of our key sponsors is Pilatus, uh, and they provide us with a magnificent PC12 turboprop to uh, to take them around and cover the distances uh, that you that you need to do in Australia. And we also have access to one in New Zealand. So. Um, that's uh, that's part of it. We like to shine a spotlight on that person and give them give, give them and their career a leg up. Uh, Tom, what we, it, it doesn't matter what industry uh, the person is from or what their aspirations might be, whether they want to run a better farm or whether they uh, you know might want to get into agri politics or uh, or any step in between we don't mind we just like to to see them shine at what they do uh, we have some uh, aside from Pilatus we have uh, uh, Allflex and Merck Sharp and Dome are wonderful sponsors of the award uh, CBRE agribusiness uh, the Triple P group themselves Westpac Australian Community Media which is the land the Queensland country life and many other uh, uh, publications that they have and of course Tom Tomania Angus are a very important sponsor as well so what what we do takes money you know we need to we uh, we have um, applicants uh, apply online uh, and um, uh, that process is open for a few weeks and then uh, we uh, have to go through those applications and uh, uh, work out who we believe uh, um, become the finalists and then typically we will get uh, the six top finalists out of Australia and New Zealand together for a face-to-face uh, interview um, uh, this year uh, because of COVID and the fact that uh, the Kiwis can't get here to do any judging and we can't get to New Zealand. We have taken the leap to uh, uh, separate a Tom and have one Kiwi winner and one Aussie winner. Uh, but uh, it's really, it's, it's a lifelong award really, Tom, where the the winner and, and the finalist to a lesser extent, but uh, have access to a wonderful array of mentors uh, where they can, they can make use of that as much or as little as they like. But uh, I encourage them to do it as much as they can because there's a lot to be learnt from people who have been there before and know where the potholes are, Tom, know the problems to avoid. Yes, yes. So, Richard... Um the award has um, been awarded to many outstanding people. Tell us who those um, recipients of the award have been. Yeah, certainly, Tom. It's been a good split between uh, Aussie and Kiwi recipients. Our inaugural, as I mentioned, was in 2015, and that was Emma Black from North Queensland. Uh, the following year was a Kiwi sheep, beef and dairy farmer, Dean Rabbage. Uh, again, in 17, we had another Kiwi, Morgan Easton. In 2018, we had a most extraordinary, very young man, Thomas McDonald. Thomas um, has actually been Spring. on one of the podcasts too. He has been yeah. on the podcast, that's right. And, and in his early 20s, Tom, he was uh, uh, tasked 
with the responsibility of starting a sheep dairy in New Zealand from scratch. So he had to scour the world and find what were the best milking sheep and then uh, uh, breed them up to numbers that are sufficient to make a co commercial operation and build the dairy, which uh, hadn't been done before. It, 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 just an extraordinary job. Then 2019, we had two Aussie applicants who we just could not spl split in uh, Shannon Spate and Luke Evans. Uh, Luke at that stage was on uh, a cattle station in the Northern Territory by the name of Rockhampton Downs, and he has since then uh, stayed with the same organisation, but, uh, but now has far greater responsibilities uh, in the organisation that he's with. Shannon Spate uh, has joined up with Emma Black, our original winner, and they have created a company called Black Box Company, which has brought some software to bear to uh, help uh, cattle producers at this stage, but I think they will spread their wings uh, to disseminate more information on animals that is collected at crush side to help uh, management um, uh, uh, better in the cattle industry. Uh, quite extraordinary what those ladies are doing. And then um, our last winner in 2020 was a, a Kiwi by the name of Jack Raharui. Uh, who uh, works in the dairy uh, industry. He's a dairy farmer on the west coast of the South Island. Another amazing story. He was a troubled youth, went down the wrong path uh, and um, uh, got into some trouble as a young fella at school and uh, his father got him out of that and put him with a dairy farmer and, uh, uh, and told him to pull his socks up uh, because he was in a fair bit of trouble and uh, he is now just the most extraordinary young man uh, uh, mentoring other uh, both troubled youth and uh, and other youth and giving them opportunities uh, that they wouldn't necessarily get otherwise. So we've got our, our seventh winner to be crowned very soon, uh, Tom, and, uh, well, seventh Aussie. There'll be an Aussie and a Kiwi, as I say, but in our seventh year. So yes. uh, and, and we're, what looking, sort we're of, looking forward to that. And the applicants, we've, uh, I know that they're public who the applicants are. Can you tell us a little bit more about them? I can, Tom. The one, the one thing I've omitted uh, I've to mention was that the age group for applicants is 21 to 35, so we're looking for the younger, the younger generation, but uh, we've got four that will be judging for the 2021 award, and that's... Uh, uh, Ollie, in no particular order, uh, Ollie Lelieve, uh, who was with uh, KPMG, uh, and uh, more interestingly, he has a podcast himself by the name of Humans of Agriculture, which is uh, quite extraordinary in its own right. We have Rosie O'Reilly, who is uh, with Lampro uh, down at Holbrook, which are doing wonderful things genetically with lamb. Mm -hmm. uh, Hugh Dawson, who is uh, at Beetaloo at Tennant Creek in the Northern Territory, uh, working on the cattle station there and a chopper pilot and everything that goes with it. And uh, also Tim Emery, who's with the department up in Roma. So um, really strong... Uh, characters, uh, it's going to be a seriously tough task to try and separate them and uh, uh, get the cream on top, but that's our task and that's what we like because we, we like to be seeing the best. Tom? Very good. I wish you um, luck with finding the best this year and thank you very much for all your efforts to find those people and encourage the beef industry or the cattle industry and the agriculture in general because we, we need it. We need some champions, don't we? 
There are some challenges out there, Tom, when you look around at all the things that are, uh, you know, that are coming at ag, whether it be uh, agri-politics, uh, there's plenty of that going on at the sta- on the stage at the moment, be it with China or be it with the UK divorcing from the EU, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so there's plenty in the agri-politics space. There's plenty with uh, plant-based meat that we're facing and uh, all the all the general things tom but we need really smart young people coming forward in agriculture and uh, uh, I, I firmly believe that this award is identifying plenty of them richard you're a very uh, philanthropic um, person and um, you often mention that um, how lucky you are um, and if you got any insight into how you made yourself so lucky uh, I'm the luckiest person alive, Tom. When I consider where I came from, um, I was, uh, you know, my father didn't get much education. He left school in fifth class, not fifth year, fifth class, uh, uh, because of circumstances. Uh, but he, uh, uh, you know, he toiled hard and uh, was able to put uh, his four children through uh, boarding school, which was just a wonderful opportunity. Uh, I didn't get to go to university, Tom, but. Uh, uh, I, I just met some extraordinary people along the way that have given me an opportunity. And I think my country upbringing, uh, Tom, gave me, I don't know, a different thought process, a different work ethic, uh, maybe all those things. And uh, I was just happy to put my shoulder to the wheel and, uh, and absolutely have a go. And uh, I think that uh, impressed a couple of people who gave me opportunities beyond my wildest dreams, Tom. So, uh, you know, I had a lifetime in the beef industry or in the meat industry, uh, which uh, has just uh, been very kind to me, very generous, and uh, I've had a wonderful career. And uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to put up the white flag uh, at the age of 58 um, when I was the recipient of a management buyout uh, for my business. And uh, that has given me the time while I've had the energy and the drive and the passion to get an, involved in a few philanthropic uh, adventures like the Xander McDonald Award. And, uh, and really, Tom, as I said at the outset, uh, for mine, there's not many better things that you can do with your time than to, than to give young people a leg up. And Richard, tell us a little bit more about uh, Country Education Foundation, which you're also involved in. Yes, uh, Tom, I've recently, um, uh, I had five years on the board at Country Education Foundation and uh, just stepped down recently. I think five years is, uh, is a good time for me and good for uh, new energy to come onto that board and do different things. It's... Um, uh, it's a foundation that was established by uh, Nick and Julia Burton-Taylor, uh, and they recognised a problem in the bush with young people leaving school and uh, uh, not having necessarily the direction to, to take them on, even though a lot of them are smart and energetic, they just didn't know how to, how to go to that next level. So a foundation was established to identify young school leavers in rural and regional Australia and give them some more education, Tom. And that could be anything from an apprenticeship through to a scholarship to university. And um, uh, it's just the most amazing thing to experience and see young people get an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't have had. 
And uh, look, uh, you know, the, the numbers of people that, uh, that they can handle is only limited by the amount of money that they can raise, uh, sadly, but that's, uh, that's the reality in this day. But Tom, can I just make the, the, the one observation that I really got from my time with Country Education Foundation was whilst, yes, the money is important to be able to let these young people a- achieve their potential, but so often it's just the fact that somebody's taken a personal interest in a young person. Uh, they're probably from sometimes, occasionally, from uh, circumstances that aren't necessarily the greatest at home and they've probably been a little bit neglected. Uh, and when somebody comes along and takes, a, you know, a local, a local foundation uh, under the umbrella of the Country Education Foundation, uh, when somebody takes an interest in that young person and gives them a leg up, it just changes their world, Tom. And to see the difference, um, uh, th- there was a young, just let me give you a prime example. There was a young fellow from Alice Springs that uh, uh, was identified by the foundation. He was uh, put on a scholarship to uh, Canberra where he did studying the stars, Tom. That's astronomy or astrology. I always get the two mixed up. <laughs> but uh, he, he studied that. And uh, uh, Tom, he topped his course. The university was so impressed with him, they employed him to stay at the university. And he said of the foundation, if it wasn't for the foundation giving him a leg up, he would be stacking shelves at Woolworths in Alice, at a supermarket in Alice Springs. And he's the first one in his family to get further education. Now, he'll make sure that his children get an education. And so it just goes on to make the world a better place. It is an extraordinary organisation. No, that's wonderful, Richard. No, you obviously get yourself involved in helping people a lot. I do. I, I love it. Good. Look, I, I suppose um, I would like to go and talk a little bit about your experiences in export. And at the other end, um, uh, being a farmer, beef producer, we have uh, a seed stock business and uh, some of our challenges are in um, help assisting our team members in ta- Team Tamania in building relationships with processors. It's really quite difficult. They have um, a culture of not really, I don't think not trusting each other is quite the right word. It's sort of... I think you're Be- not far from it. Being a bit sceptical of each other's <laughs> intention, I think. But um, <laughs> the ones that do build relationships really profit from them and both sides because, you know, they're doing things for the processes that they want and the processes come back and be loyal to them and it actually really does work. It's a difficult value proposition, isn't it? Extremely difficult, Tom. There's no doubt about that. Um, and uh, as a as a good friend of mine uh, who has abattoirs at Singleton and Young in New South Wales, Edward Throsby, um, said to me some years ago that the beef industry as a business model is a broken model because for a processor to profit, typically the producer is on his knees and for the producer to profit, uh, typically the processor is on his knees. Uh, and uh, it's probably the way that it's always been, Tom. I don't necessarily know that it will ever be any different, but um, it doesn't make it right. And I think uh, it's beholden to both sides of that camp, both the producers and the processors, to find a way to work together. I think uh, 
you know, we should follow uh, consumer trends, you know, what uh, what is the consumer looking for? What does the processor really need? What sort of animals is he wanting to process? Mm, and yep. the producer and the processor should be talking together to work out, uh, you know, how that best supply chain might work. Um, uh, you know, I always encourage producers to think that they're producing someone's meal, not just not just an animal. And so they must be thinking of, you know, what what is going to produce the best meal? Obviously, what cattle are best suited to the environment that I am on? Uh, and, uh, and, and what's the best way for me to market those? And is it just wait till a, a happy day when you know when i particularly want to sell them whether it means i need money or whether i think they're they're market ready or whatever the case might be i think there needs to be more interaction between a producer and a processor to say what do you need when do you need it what weight do you need what uh, you know all the other important pieces around an animal to make sure that you can tie in and give the processor animals that he needs when he needs them and uh, i think there's little doubt that there is a premium in that for a processor if he's got a guarantee that he knows that he's going to get exactly the animals that uh, his customers need rather than just what he's given tom yeah look and, and instead of what you hear farmers say sometimes um oh well it's about time the boot was on the other foot they've made heaps of money Yep. You know, and I yep. hear that it, all it, the time, and that's it, not it's a all too common, Tom, and that's not a good business model, is it? No, it's not. And I think I think that's mostly because the relationship is not there, and uh, and potentially the producer doesn't know what the processor wants or why he wants it or when he wants it or, uh, or all the other things because the producer just wants to sell uh, when it suits him or you know for, for that for that variety of reasons. And uh, I think we need to get a little bit more sophisticated than that, Tom. Um, you know, it's a very different system in the U.S. where they have very segregated. Uh, production systems. You really have your cow-calf operator, uh, and then you have your backgrounder, and then you have your feedlotter, and they're very they're very definite uh, sectors, and it's a very different industry over there. Uh, I certainly believe that the Australian industry is in um, is in step with the US, but uh, uh, quite a few years behind, uh, without being too unkind. But I think we do follow in their path, Tom. Um, uh, I don't know whether we will get to the same model as what the US has, but um, um, ours is yeah, not I, a great I, model as I, it is at the moment. I think subsidised corn helps them out a bit um, in so much as the cost uh, of food, animal feed, doesn't fluctuate from at the moment animal feed in australia is virtually valueless um yeah and and so if you can get some stock on it um all yeah. you're you know you're all you're doing is grazing something that's going to blow away in the wind unless you graze it so and and obviously two or three years ago um when we were in the midst of um a very severe drought um feed costs were so astronomically high that um you just had to get rid of your cattle so you know, there's those problems as well, but corn flattens it out a bit, I think, in the US, the subsidised yeah, corn. True, and then, of course, in the States, they've got such a large ethanol production industry that, um, it's uh, you know, they get the they get the byproduct from the ethanol plants, etc. cetera, uh, Tom. So, so that's a great benefit from to them as well. But uh, nonetheless, they do have uh, uh, very strongly segmented industry and uh, people do what they're good at. 
We find um, that uh, some of our um, clients receive feedback sheets, very precise and good feedback data. Um, and, you know, I feel that that feedback sheet, which is authored by the processor that gave it to them, should stay confidential, and often it doesn't. You know, so the processor that gave it back to the farmer, the farmers sometimes then take it to other processors to show them how good their cattle are. And I think there's a, a little issue there that needs to perhaps be a... Um, a little bit better regarded. Again, again, Tom, perhaps a little bit more sophisticated. A little bit more sophisticated. You're, you've been a player in the industry in exporting, um, a, quite a significant person in Australia's beef industry. Tell us a little bit about um, what you developed in the 70s and, and in the 90s. Um, yes, Tom. Uh, look, I happened to chance upon the meat industry, um, answered an ad in the newspaper, can you believe it, uh, to join Dalgetty's uh, back, in the, uh, back in the early 1970s. And uh, they, had a, they had a traineeship, which I applied for and was uh, successful in doing, and um, uh, joined their meat export department and uh, absolutely fell in love with it from day one. I was fortunate whilst I was there, Tom, to be able to sell the first beef to Korea that the country ever imported. Uh, it was just 500 tonne of frozen bone in quarter beef that came out of the abattoir at Newcastle, which sadly is no longer there. But uh, that was certainly a, a feather in my cap, Tom. And uh, it went on to become Australia's third largest uh, export market for beef, which uh, was very important. And, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a key role in that all the, all the way through. So uh, uh, that was a great start for me. Uh, Dalgetty was a big uh, monster uh, where you bundied on and bundied off and really I was the sort of person who needed a pat on the back if I did a good job or a, a kick in the bum if I did a bad one time and Dalgetty didn't ever you know they didn't ever recognize what you had done so I got poached uh, by a London-based uh, publicly listed tr um, meat trading firm by the name of Sanger and uh, I enjoyed uh, I joined them and thoroughly enjoyed uh, my work there and um went on uh, over time, Tom, to, to have a majority uh, ownership in the business. It was public when I, when I joined. Uh, it uh, fell over in 1980. Uh, I started a acquiring equity in the company then and, um, uh, and, and sold out in 2013. But yes, when I joined the business, Tom, we had a revenue of 50 million. Uh, by the time I left, we have had a revenue of 500 million. So uh, we, we certainly did become a significant player in the industry. We represented about 10% of Australia's meat exports, uh, and we exported to everywhere in the world. And uh, um, I, I, I don't say this lightly, we had a lot of fun along the way. That's the way I like to run the business, was that it was uh, an enjoyable place to be, Tom. And uh, as a result, we had some wonderful people on our team and um, I didn't do much. I just had my hand on the tiller and uh, everybody else uh, had such a wonderful team. They did all the hard work, but it was, uh, there were a lot of learnings from there, Tom. Uh, you know, creating a team was probably the most important thing that I ever did, getting wonderful people around me who were well rewarded. Uh, uh, none of them left me uh, and um, they, they were the ones who drove the business. Um, uh, I, I was interested um, in a recent uh, podcast you did, Tom, where you spoke at length uh, about banks. Um, uh, I'd just like to add to the comments that were made there. Banks 
without a bank, uh, without their money, I didn't have a business. So it was all was all pretty simple. But I was absolutely open and transparent with it. My, my bank. I told them absolutely everything. If I had a potential bad debt, someone late paying me, the first person I'd call would be the bank and let them know I had a potential problem. And then, you know, 99 times out of 100, I could ring them back and say that all was resolved. But um, I, I think that's a terrible, terribly important thing with your financier is that you're open and honest don't be tricky don't tell them any porky pies and uh, give them the comfort that you know where every dollar in your business is and uh, that's what I did and I'd like to think that I had great success with it Tom I always had more uh, money available to me from my banks uh, than I could ever use and that was a pretty nice place to be and uh, I always made sure that uh, I paid my invoices earlier than I needed to, and I reckon that was my greatest marketing strength ever, was I didn't have to pay any more money for meat than anybody else was paying. If I was the same, I'd get the product because people knew that they would get paid. We've got the three M's at the final stage of this podcast, um, and I think you might have already given us quite a few of them, but if I could ask you, um, perhaps what mistakes have you made in your wonderful Uh, uh, career? Uh, I made lots, Tom. Maybe, maybe the biggest mistake was not buying a whole heap of agricultural land about 20 years ago and sitting on it. <laughs> but I'll, I'll have to rue that day. I can't, I can't do anything about changing that. Tom, um, I've, uh, I'm, I'm sure I've made plenty, but what I absolutely tried to do in my career was make sure that I didn't make them again. And I really strongly impressed on my team that it was okay to make a mistake, uh, but only make it once. But when you make a mistake, put your hand up and tell everybody, don't hide it in the bottom drawer because it will fester and come back and bite. So uh, a problem shared is a problem halved, Tom, and there's always somebody else in a team who's got a good idea as to how to resolve that mistake. And uh, I think that really stood us in good stead was to share your mistakes and uh, and and uh, uh, there's there's always somebody there that can that can fix it for you and richard your masterpieces um there's a few yeah, there Tom, you've been talking uh, so, about already so, yeah well well um, certainly the, the First one at a very, you know, I think I was 23 when I sold that um, uh, first uh, meet into Korea, which uh, I, I, I still think was a bit of a feather in my cap. Uh, probably my biggest challenge, Tom, uh, which I succeeded at, was selling uh, the first imported beef to McDonald's in North America. They had always had the slogan that uh, it was an all-American burger, uh, and whilst all their competitors were using imported meat, uh, McDonald's weren't, and uh, it was a very, very long process to convince McDonald's that they should, uh, and I did. And if I can just uh, take a second to tell you, I I knocked on a lot of doors, Tom. It was... uh, it was at least a 10-year um, uh, very strong push for me to be able to get access to McDonald's. But I finally met a man who was responsible for one of their, uh, what they call grinders, the people who uh, uh, turn the meat into hamburger patties. Uh, he was in Australia and uh, I took him for a game of golf and made sure he won. And we had a couple of beers afterwards and he, he poured his personal life into my laptop after us having a very formal relationship for some years and uh, um, from that day on we've been very close friends and he seriously went into bat for me he went to Chicago the next week to McDonald's head office and 
convinced them to give it a go and uh, uh, it, it turned into into enormous business. McDonald's are the biggest buyers of protein in the world, Tom. They serve 66 million customers a day. So they were a terribly important customer for me and they're still a very, very important customer for Australia. Richard, um, mentors who, and I suppose um, they're very important and you're very good at obviously giving young Australians mentors by mentoring them yourself and also introducing them through the Xander McDonald Award and through the Country Education Foundation. But who are your mentors? Um, Tom, I didn't, uh, I didn't ever have any official mentors. It wasn't the no, same no, right. in, in the 70s or 80s as it is today. But um, a fellow, I, I lost my father when I was 22. Uh, and... Um, uh, when I was only 21, I started working at Sanger and a fellow who was running the operation then, John Cooper, uh, really became my father figure and he was just an enormous influence on my life and uh, we're still very dear friends. I still speak to him every other week uh, and he filled the void that I lost in my father and John encouraged me just, uh, if I can coin the phrase, Tom, to walk through doors uh, and just to have a go, see what's on the other side. Tom, at that stage in my life, in my early 20s, I had absolutely nothing. So if I lost everything, I didn't lose much. So I had an appetite for risk in those days and I just wanted to conquer the world. And uh, uh, it was a wonderful stage in life to be. Uh, the second person I've got to mention, Tom, is my darling wife, Penn. She, um, she has kept me grounded and that's been terribly important. Um, she took great care of the family and life while I was off running around the world uh, doing what I did. Um, but uh, she was all, it's an interesting thing, Tom. It was nothing we ever discussed, but she was always very grateful that I left my work in the office. Didn't matter whether I'd had a good day or a bad day or big things were going wrong. I didn't ever burden my family with it. And my wife often comments how grateful she is that um, I was able to, uh, you know, just deal with that in my own way. But uh, yeah, certainly John Cooper and my wife have been two of the most important people in my life without a doubt. Richard Rains, thank you very much for being on Raw Ag today. A great you're, pleasure, Tom. <laughs> you're an inspiration to me, I must say. I come across you every now and again, as we, as you know, and um, you, you carry such a, an enthusiastic um, manner forward into every room and to every person that you touch. And Thank you very much, Richard. It's an honour, Tom. Thank you for the opportunity. If you're enjoying the Raw Ag podcast, make sure you rate and review on your favourite podcast app.